The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, the world's strongest man, a world champion in not one, not two, but three different sports and Hall of Famer, the one and only Mark Henry and I talk to the GOAT, that's right, Chris Jericho, who has a new book out, The Complete List of Jericho, available at Jericho30.com. We sit and talk not only about his book, but what's going on right now with AEW, right here on the Busted Open Podcast. Bam! Chris, good morning to you. Do you have two copies because you took both of them that we sent to Sirius home with you, or uh, no? Uh, because I haven't back <laughs> been back to the Sirius studio since the pandemic. I've been doing the show from home. No, Alex Marvez was good enough to send me a copy, but in typical Lagreca fashion, the copy that Marvez sent me came the day after I bought my own copy. So <laughs> I have two copies of the book. But once again, man, this undertaking. Uh, congratulations uh, to, you know, this book, well, thanks. If, if you're, a, if you're a Jericho fan, this is definitely the book that you need to have. And it's, it's a lot of stats. It's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of lists, but once again, you were able to make this fun and that's the biggest thing. Well, just to explain it, and I don't even know if Mark even knows about this. I just spoke with him at length last week for uh talk is Jericho, which we'll hear in a few weeks, but um, I kept a list of every single match I ever had starting from my first match on October 2nd, 1990. And what does that mean, you ask? I literally had a, 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 a binder full of paper that I would write every match that I ever had in there um, <sighs> after the match was done. I would write the match number, the date, the opponent, where it was. Uh, I would estimate the crowd for a certain point. Uh, for the first six or seven years, you have my payoffs in there. And then I gave myself a star rating for each one, uh, because I always wanted to know. I, I My first day of wrestling school, I asked Keith Hart, how many matches have you had? And he said, nobody keeps track of that. That's a stupid question. And I thought, well, <laughs> if I want to know how many matches Wayne Gretzky's had, I can go to a book and find out. So I'll do the same with my career, whether I have one match 
or 1,000 or beyond, I want to know. And 30 years later, we now know this goes to uh, from October 2nd, 1990 to October 7th, 2020. And there's 2,722 matches included with all that information that I said earlier. And that was the matches. That's not, I mean, you probably had twice the amount of pre-tapes and yeah, uh, sure. standing in the ring, doing announcing, standing in the ring, uh, cutting promos. I'm, I'm sure it's closer to probably 8,000 impressions, if you will. Uh, yeah, in, yeah, in, in the and, and you're, you're exactly. I just kept track of the actual matches, and then what I did when it was time about a year ago, I started thinking I want to do something with all of these pages. So I gave them to Alex Marvis. We always make you know have fun with them on on AW, but he did a great job of taking all of this information and basically digitizing it. And so what we did then is is okay. So now I don't want to just release this list of matches. Let's make a whole kind of history book an encyclopedia of jericho shall we say so i went into the storage unit and found like over 100 pictures that no one had ever seen before from my career i did a bunch of top 10 lists i did a bunch of uh alex went and got a lot of comments from dave included journalists worldwide uh talent hall of famers aw champions to get their favorite jericho moments and then Alex did all the graphs at the end, win-loss stats, the amount of countries worked in, all of these great uh, wow. uh, bits of information. And we put it together uh, to, to release this book. And then I'll just say one more thing. After four New York Times bestsellers, um, no publisher wanted this book. They said it was too uh, much of a wow. niche product. Yeah, crazy, right? My fourth book is called No is a Four-Letter Word. So as soon as I started hearing no, well, you know what I did? I went, all right, I'll just do it myself. So I self-published this, and we've already sold, like, almost all the first printing just from 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 word of mouth and from my social uh, media and all that sort of stuff. So once again, the Jericho formula, if someone tells you you can't do something, well, screw it, just do it yourself, worked again, because this book is already way more profitable than would have been if I would have sold it to a publisher a year ago. Yeah, so you can't pick it up at a bookstore, so I advise everybody that's listening to this show right now, go to Jericho30.com to pick up a copy, because it's amazing. Like... Uh, you know, from the list and, and thankfully, and I'm very honored that, uh, Chris, that you put me in the book. I have my, uh, Chris Jericho top 10 matches mark on page 69 of the book. I'll just add that. Uh, but yeah, you, know, you are my favorite number. I mean, I don't know how Chris knew that that was my favorite number, but he, he wow. put my list. I've heard, on page I've heard 69. the rumors. <laughs> Listen, but, Dave, I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I, and, and we talk about this on talk is Jericho. Um, I was told, I brought up the fact that Jericho wrestled Powerball and me an MVP, and I didn't make the 100. <laughs> and, and Chris and all his genius said, oh, man, you were 101. You barely, you barely didn't make it. And I, I, I thought that that was awesome, man. Like, a lot of people don't know how great a sense of humor you have um, like what, what is the thing about this, like this acting and comedy type of, of feel that, that you get from you? I think I've always had it. Where, do, where does I it think, come from? 
Well, I think a good sense of humor, like just kind of going down the line, it always comes from from your family. Like my dad is super funny to this day. Like anybody that's met him, he's he's always on the cruise, on the Jericho cruise, and he's been on AW a few times, and he's just a funny guy. You know, he played in the NHL for 10 years, so he's been around a locker room. He's got great comedic timing. He's just funny. And that kind of translated to me. So when I was in high school, all I did was the school plays and we used to call them air bands, lip sync competitions. And it was always, I go back and watch it now because we videotaped it all then. And it's just funny stuff. So I always took that into wrestling because wrestling is timing, as we always say, not just in the way you are booked, but in the ring, your promos, comedy is timing. And that's all that it is. And you can take that bit of comedic timing and use it when it, like the other day, it's, it was a perfect example when we were in Miami, Mark, you were there and uh, we had only had six or seven minutes for this face off that MJF and I had kind of to describe what he wanted me to do to, to earn a match with him. And when you only have six minutes, it's like, dude, I don't need to say much because we've been talking for months and months and months. All I need is, is, is to be very serious and very direct and have one good barb in there. And that's when I said, I'll do whatever you want. I'll, I'll, I'll stand in front of a Mack truck. I'll swim in a lake infested with piranhas. I'll even have sex with your mother, right? People are going, ah, as soon as it comes down, I go again. <laughs> and that's like the timing, but you got to wait for it. Like I'll even have sex with wait. your mother. Right. And most people just go again. I was like, this crowd is digging. If I say it now, they're not going to hear it anyways. And they really are enjoying that. They, ah, again, ah, they're back. That's all part of the timing that you learn over years of being in front of people. If you have it within you to begin with. Yeah. And, and that Mark, that's always brought up. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, that's always been my problem. Cause unfortunately I'm a little bit premature when it comes to that, but and everything, you know, well, well, I'm just being honest. M- M- MJF told me that when he, after he hung out with uh, Violetta in, uh, easy in pal. That's my wife. You're talking wow. about take, take it easy pal. <laughs> no, but that's one of the things that I love about all your books. Um, and by the way, Chris, I think I might've mentioned this and Mark, I, I know that it was mentioned in the podcast when we had, our wives joined for Mother's Day. We had all our wives on for a very special That's edition cool. of Busted Open. I used Jericho's book as a way to pick up my wife, Violetta, the first time I met her. We just happened to be walking past a bookstore. We go into the bookstore, and of course, you know, all the Jericho books are on display. And Chris mentioned me in his book. And I'm like, hey, you know, it just happened to be. It was a bestseller. So it's on the bestseller list, you know, New York Times bestseller. I mean, dude, you're even you when you don't not. even know. Hey, dude, ask about it's 100% true. Hunter, I do. When you're Dave well, LaGreca, you, go. you got to use every type of advantage to so, get somebody. So what, what, and what did you? Okay, so 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 you said that you're on page sixty nine, and you gave your favorite Jericho moments. Is that what you did, or is your favorite, favorite uh, top ten Jericho matches? Yep, top ten Jericho matches. And are these in any particular order? Do you recall? Oh. Okay, no, number one. That, I mean, maybe you should you start reading your own book. Okay. Well, yes, they one, are well, in particular. Listen, I got so much stuff. So your number one is a uh, match number two thousand and three. Shawn Michaels, No Mercy, October fifth, two thousand and eight, in Portland, Oregon. Two of the top ten greatest of all time in the ring with a ladder for the world heavyweight championship. Enough said. That's, That's what Dave Greco said in this book. 
Dave Love Greca. But yes, I mean, yes. I mean, this said. is a comp- – you said Dave Greca. I mean, everybody's going to be shit. getting my last name wrong. I mean, Nick Gage was calling me Dave Greco for crying out loud. No, but this was – and this, is diffi- this was difficult to do, Chris, because, you know, for your career, you have had some amazing match. The match you had with Tanahashi, it was very, very difficult for me not to include that in my top ten because that was another one of your greatest matches. I've said it to you on this show many times. The last five years of your career has been the best four or five years of your entire career. It was really difficult. It took me time to accumulate this top 10 list because, you know, your matches have been so damn good. Well, I appreciate it. And, and the Tanahashi match is actually in here as one of my top favorite matches uh, on in the honorable mention sort of thing. Because that one came out of nowhere and... and uh, Mark, Mark will know this. There's certain people like, for example, Tana has been working almost as long as I have. I think he's at about 25 years and I'd always heard about uh, Tanahashi, but I never really knew anything about him. And mm-hmm. when I went to New Japan, I only did six matches there, but three of them were headlining the Tokyo Dome. 18 was versus Kenny, 19 was versus Naito and 20 was versus Tanahashi. And each one, like, I think my Tanahashi match was even better than the Kenny match, which is the one that everybody talks about because I knew about Kenny. And Kenny and I obviously were both from Winnipeg and there's a connection there. Uh, Plus, you know, we're both Canadian. But with Tana, I really didn't know. And to get in the ring with him, wow, he is so good. I'm smiling just thinking about it. What it actually reminded me of is the first time I ever worked with Undertaker, who I did not work with until I'd been in the WWE for about 10, 12 years before I even got in the ring with him. We just never were on the same show and never really uh, crossed paths. And to be in there with a guy like that was just unbelievable. Like, oh my gosh, it's all true. It's true. Everything that you hear about The Undertaker is true. He's really that good. And that was the same, uh, same way I felt about Tanahashi. We just had so much fun being in there together. And it was such a blast. And he's so smooth. And so, and like people think Japanese style of like, you know, dumping each other on each other's heads and all that stuff. It's not the case at all. It was really just a, a just a great match. And, and uh, it, like I said, it, it helped sell out the Tokyo Dome that year when we did two nights in Tokyo. It was the second night. And uh, my last match in New Japan, maybe ever. Who knows if we'll ever go back. Yeah. But if that is the last one, it's a great way to go out. And and looking at these moments in this list, and again, uh, the, the book is The Complete List of Jericho. Uh, go to Jericho30.com to pick up a copy. It's not available in bookstores, so you have to go to Jericho30.com. And, I, and I'm telling you right now, you have to get it. It's a phenomenal book. And it's not just lists and it's not just match numbers, but there's also stories involved. And there's so many people that contributed to this book as well. It's definitely a must for any kind of pro wrestling fan. But but Chris, you have to be proud, not just with the book, but like not just the matches. But when I ha- and I'm a big list guy myself, I love putting together lists uh, and right. I come up with my right. you know favorite moments. Uh, when it comes to my career. And one of them was being a part of the Jericho Cruise, you know, being able to do a, a, a busted open show on the Jericho Cruise. For you, Chris, to get, to be on a cruise that you invented, you know, that you worked so hard and it was sold out, you know, you're wrestling on the cruise, you're performing on the cruise, you know, everybody in attendance is singing along to a song that you're entering the ring with that you wrote and you performed on a cruise that you created. Like, I mean, talk about that moment. Yeah. 
I mean, seriously. Well, I mean, it's so funny because that happened in January of 2020, basically, I don't know, six weeks before the entire lockdown. And that was the second version of the Jericho Cruise. The first one was great. But as you know, you got to spend money to make money. And the first one was not profitable because we're learning. How do you do this? It took me three years to get this cruise up and running after Fozzie played the Kiss Cruise. As soon as I got off the Kiss Cruise, I called my manager and said, I can do a wrestling cruise, a rock and wrestling cruise. And we worked three years to get it. Uh, so the second one really was kind of like, okay, now we've got it. That one was sold out completely and we had it down to a science. And it really was, was, was uh, once again, you know, that's one of those moments that you sit back and just like when we're taking, uh, not taking off, when you're, when you're disembarking from the port and Fozzie kicks off the, sh the, the cruise every year and playing with the band, there's 2,500 people on the deck. You were there. Uh, they're all singing and cheering. And it's like, we did it. Like, this is a party. The next three days, all the work is done. Well, not my work, but everybody else's. Now it's just time to have a good time. Yeah. And the fact, like you said, that we we're able to make this happen, make it profitable in year two and sell it out completely uh, was a huge accomplishment. And um, providing a, a, a place where people could just go and have fun. That to me is my biggest uh, uh, mission in this day and age is there's a lot of fans who kind of live vicariously through Chris Jericho. What kind of cool stuff is he going to think up of next for us to go and have some fun? And that was a great example of that. After all the work that we did to kind of have it all culminate together with the music and the wrestling and the comedy and paranormal shit and, and, and just games and fun and everything just kind of came together right on that cruise. So, uh, like I said, we're, we're working. Uh, the third one sold out right away. We had to postpone it. Uh, we lost some cabins over the last, you know, year or so. But we're going back out again in October. We're going to reestablish that the Jericho Cruise is the best and most fun cruise you can have, whether you're a huge wrestling fan or not, because there's so much to do for everybody. Well, I'm going to go online right now and and make the make the commitment that at the next Jericho Cruise the world's strongest will be on the ship. I mean, it's going to become the world's strongest ship, the world's strongest cruise. <laughs> the world's we'll ha strongest we'll cruise have to put you at the front down. and put everybody in the back. Now check this out, Mark, check this out. I was just looking through November 18th, 19, sorry, November 16th, 1999 match. Number 1,028 Cincinnati, Ohio versus Mark Henry. There you go. And I, I won with a lion salt and I gave that match two and a half stars. So there you go. Yeah. Yes. I think, I, I think that's, it the didn't first, get I think one star Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get one star. That's yes. the first match we ever had. Uh, I believe that was the first match all, we had. Yeah. All the way back in 1999. I remember it, was, it wasn't the, the riverfront arena. It was the other kind of uh, civic center. We used to work in Cincinnati for a while. Yeah. The Cincinnati garden. That's it. That's it. That's it. And I remember I gave you a bulldog. And when I gave you a bulldog, one of your braids came out in my hand. And I was like, oh, my yeah. God, he's going to kill me. <laughs> I, had one of, I scalped Mark Henry in our first match. <laughs> and hey, I, but I, th that, the best one was um, uh, the, the next one we had was the, the Mark Henry uh, forget to come outside the ring and, and chase Chris Jericho. And Chris, you know, his gimmick is, uh, you stupid idiot. And <laughs> stupid is one of my trigger words. <laughs> it's, it's, I got called stupid when I was a kid. And, bro, 
it just stuck with me. It's the word you can call me anything in the world except stupid. And I yes. lose my ability to be a human. I, 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 I go, I regress into being a Neanderthal and I want to yes. kill. I just want to kill. And Chris is like, stupid idiot. And I was like, what? <laughs> and the match was over now. In my mind, I am going to eat him. And Chris is like, what is your spot? <laughs> uh, just so you know, that was on November, that was on November 8th, 2009. That was match number 2189 in Liverpool, wow. England. Uh, I only gave that one one and a half stars. It was uh, <laughs> oh, it was bad. Oh my god! And make sure you go to Jericho30.com to pick up this to pick up this book. Now See, we had Alex Marvin on. But hold on, David. The funny thing about this book, and like I said, it's fun that I can go in this and just pick out any match and tell you the exact that's date. Awesome. Like that's another reason why this book is so unique. Nobody else could do that because no one has kept that long of a, of a list of all these matches. So I'm having a blast. Whoever I'm talking to going through and finding all the, I can find the exact date. We just spoke about it. So that's one of the, it's almost like a history book. That's, that's in a lot impressive. of ways as well. Yeah. And, so it, ahead, and not to call, and not to call anybody out, but we had Alex Marvez on the show just before the book came out. And I was with Tommy dreamer and Tommy's like, you know, just so you know, I've been writing down all my matches as well. And Alex is like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, what number do you have? You know, the match you had with Chris and you know, Alex, you know, recited the date yeah. and the mat and all that stuff. And then he's like, and Tommy's like, well, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot to write that one down. So <laughs> it might take a little bit while for Tommy to yeah. accumulate all his matches. But that shows you how much work goes into this, Chris, because it's not like I, I would have to think you weren't carrying this journal around with you everywhere you went. You probably had a lot of. You, so you didn't have like loose pieces of paper that you had. No. So you, man, I, that takes a lot of, man, to, it, to be able to do that. That, I mean, that is something that is really You can crazy. see like the, in the inside of the book, that's the actual first, that's the real legit first page. And you wow. can even see the binder, uh, you know, clips. We were able to kind of recreate that in the opening uh, when you open the book up. So I did carry this binder with me around the world. And that's the crazy thing. Like I started thinking, what if I lose this? What if there's, oh my I don't God. know, a fire or something or, or a flood? All of this information will be gone. Now, keep this in mind. At, at, at about 2010 or so, cagematch.com. Started keeping track of all the matches of everybody. So now it's a lot easier. But what I have here is the first seven or eight years. I mean, WCW, you could probably even find those matches. But the matches that I had in Mexico and Japan and uh, Europe, you know, even ECW in the early 90s, you can't find that stuff. And that's when I was talking with, with, with Dave, Dave and Brian at Wrestling Observer. Like, this is a whole history book of even the early 90s in Mexico. I mean, there's like, I'm just going like, you know, match number 186, July 25th, 1993, Oro and Transformer versus Viano 4, 5, and Massacre in Mexico City. Like all of these guys, like who the hell are these guys? You can go through and find all this information. Some of them are huge stars. Some of them are not. But you can just see how the business was back then when you were doing stuff overseas, basically on your own. 
You know, Chris. Mexico City, all those guys are Spanish guys, Mexican, and then there's me, you know? Go ahead, Mark. Chris, you you said that at one time you wrote off your payoff. What was the least amount of money that you ever did a match for? Well, I mean, zero obviously appears quite a bit in here. <laughs> but uh, but if you go... Let's, <laughs> but, like, you know, let's say, let's go Like 25 to, bucks? Uh, 25 bucks. My first payoff was 30 bucks. 50 bucks was kind of the average... Uh, back in those days and sadly it still is kind of the average today a $50 minimum is, is what you'll get but if you look at my first tour of FMW like okay uh, uh, here's a six uh, October 16th 1991 six man with Lance Storm and Mark Starr versus Sambo Osaka Tarzan Goto and Masayoshi Honda in Nagasaki Japan my payoff for that was 160 bucks because whatever I was making for the week I took that and divided it by how many matches I had. And so that was 160 bucks. So it kind of goes through all of those different things. And, and then, like I said, you still see a lot of zeros. And But when it went to the weekly pay, then you would divide. And then when I got to WCW, where I'm making a guaranteed amount of money every year, I kind of dropped the payoffs there because it's going to be the same. If you're making 1500 a week and you're working five matches a week, well, it's 300 bucks every time. So, But the early days, it is really funny to see, like, my first big payoff, and I was talking to Norman Smiley about this, uh, was when I was working in Monterrey, Mexico. Now, Monterrey was kind of an offshoot of Mexico City, which was, which was let's say, AEW or WWE. Monterrey would be Ring of Honor or ECW. So I kind of started out there. And what happened was there was supposed to be a championship match of Black Magic, who's Norman Smiley, versus Vampiro, who was, who was uh, the challenger at the time. Vampiro hurt his leg, so he couldn't do the match. So I was kind of the top foreign guy in the Monterey territory. So they put me in Vampiro's place to wrestle for the for the Mexico City Heavyweight Championship, like the World Championship. And that was on December 6, 1992. Okay. So I lost the Black Magic, obviously, but because it was a championship main event, they paid me 500 bucks. And back in those days, if you had a championship match, you would get double your pay. So I literally got paid a thousand dollars to do this championship match in the bull ring against Norman Smiley. I gave it four stars, but that was the first big payoff I ever had a thousand bucks for one match. I couldn't believe it. And uh, that's the match that ended up getting me hired into Mexico city. Cause the word got around about this kid that to his credit, Norman Smiley put me over when he didn't have to, he didn't even know me. And he made me look like a million bucks as the challenger. And I got a big payoff and I got a, a, a good job as a result. Wow. What, man, I can't wait to get this book now. I can't <laughs> well, wait. I got an extra Dave, copy. Send me an extra, I got, I got I'll, my extra I'll, copy. I'll send it to I'll, you. I'll Venmo you the money. You don't have to, you have to do that, please. Now, now, Chris, now that I know you had like this binder, you had this notebook with all these matches on it that you've been carrying around with you you know, through all out the world, writing this information down. Now, somebody must have taken this from you to be able to put this in the yeah. book. So, yes. like, that's like holding the holy grail. So, like, I mean, I would have to think if I had my hands on, I would be petrified that something would happen to this. So who did oh you have to God. give this where, where to, is to put this in the book? Well, the book is the book is now right behind me in, in, in this drawer here. But it's actually pretty funny that uh, Alex Marvez, so we actually did a talk as Jericho about this with Alex Marvez and Pete Fornatale, who's a New York guy who's worked with me on all my books. Yeah. And I gave it to Alex um, 
And he basically said that he was so nervous because Alex is just the sweetest guy, but he literally was terrified yeah. that something was going to happen to this book. And I was like, do you want me to FedEx? He's no, don't FedEx it. Just give it to me in my hands and I will hold it with me on the plane or wherever he drove or whatever the hell it was. Cause it was during the pandemic. And then he took it. And I think he and his wife actually, from what I understand, hand delivered the information into the computer. And then once it was in, it was in for good. But like I said, this was 28, 29 years of having this book. Anything could have happened. The fact that I never lost this or was never stolen. Crazy. Even that is because if it, if it was gone, you cannot find this information anywhere. That's the beauty of this book. This would be like if Brett did this or Sean did this or Flair did this. You can't go look up matches from 1986 like you can matches from 2016. Every match is on there now, but these ones are not. So it was kind of a moment of like, did you get the book? Yes. Did you transfer it into digital? <laughs> yes. <sighs> Finally, we can relax. <laughs> that is that I, if I was Alex Marvez, I'd be pissing my pants. All right. But now, Chris, before before we let you go, and again, thank you so much for the time as always. And of course, the name this of the is book it right is, here. There's the book right there. That's, that's amazing. The that's history. Binder with all the shit in it right there. So I can oh probably sell this at some point. Like when people buy handwritten John Lennon lyrics, you know, I could probably sell that for one tenth of a handwritten John Lennon lyric. So we'll think about that one. Time. Do you have the first song you wrote? Yeah. Oh yeah. I have that on, on a cassette tape. Yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I didn't all keep right. nothing. <laughs> I didn't keep nothing. <laughs> That's not true. Boy. I'm, I'm mad at myself for not taking pictures. <laughs> I didn't take pictures with all the rest. You you had that match with Norman Smiley. Did you take a picture? I actually have it on video. I got it from Mexican guys, television. Guys, I mean, Son of you know, a, Mark, you got to think I'm, of this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm Mark, really not think happy of this right stuff. now. J Jericho, and by the way, you, know, Greco, you said I could stay on as long as I wanted, so I'm going to join I, in with the show last all right, half I'm not hour. Leaving. <laughs> all right, you're not leaving. You're not leaving. I mean, listen, you got to keep things. Listen, our producer, Ed Robinson, kept his virginity. <laughs> all this time so you got to be able to keep stuff you know a nice segue <laughs> nice little dig there <laughs> well well played oh, my, all right. my, mike just hit the chat with wow in all caps yeah, yeah that was wow. that was rough that was rough now if you would indulge me chris and again <sighs> when alex marvez first asked for my top 10 list i didn't send him my top 10 Jericho matches. The first thing I sent Marvez, and it's not in the book, so I'm going to do it now with you, Chris, is I gave him my top 10 Fozzie songs. Okay. So well, if, I like if, that. Is it okay if I go through right here on the air my top 10 Fozzie sure. songs? Okay. Sure. Let's do it. Now, I actually, I, I might have to change this now because I put this together before Sane. Before so Sane I think Sane might actually make my top 10 list, but here, here's where it was when Marvez asked for my top 10 songs. Okay. And you know how much I love this song. And you haven't played this song live since, uh, oh my goodness. It's got, you got to go back probably over 15 years since you've done this song live. And you didn't do it on the Jericho Cruise, which I was really <laughs> disappointed in. But at number 10, Feel the Burn. At oh, number yeah, 10. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's from our first record. Yeah, that's from that's, the first. Yeah, we played album. that live for a while. Yeah, but we don't. Anymore. You did, but you dropped it, and you haven't brought it back. Mm -hmm. And I hope you do because I think it's an amazing song. At number nine, and this is a stable in your live uh, repertoire, is "God Pounds His Nails." Is at, at number nine, which is awesome. At number eight, right. "Broken Soul," which is a ballad. Which, 
you know, you definitely hear the influences of the Beatles in that song. So um, that's one of my favorites. And number seven, To Kill a Stranger, which was one of your first hits. Mm -hmm. uh, number six, Spider in My Mouth. At number five, One Crazed Anarchist. At number four, Do You Want to Start a War? At number three, Enemy. At number two, this is an extremely underrated song, is one of my daughter's favorite songs. And you did you do this play this live, though. I don't think you did it on the last tour. And that's tonight at number two mm, and at number okay. one, Judas. Nice. That's a good uh, that's a good eclectic list. Most of those songs. See, what happens is when you put out a new record, you have to take other songs out of the set. Yes. And some of them just like, like God pounds his nails. It just it, it, it was on the beginning of the Judas tour, as was tonight. And then when you add new songs, those are the ones that kind of go because they just don't fit anymore. So it gets harder and harder because your newer songs tend to be uh like for us the last three records have been our biggest because that's the most radio play we've ever got like sane is our fifth consecutive top 25 single wow. and it's going we think it's going to maybe possibly hit number one hopefully it does but so then now you have sane what has to go something has to go so a lot of those songs just kind of you drop them because you have to Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. Busted Open is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Ed Robinson. The associate producer is Gabby Laspisa. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, the legendary Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly.